0: Hello, Vaheguru Ji ka Khalsa, Vaheguru Ji ki Fateh. Vaheguru Khalsa, Vaheguru Fateh. Yes, so big question Avjeet, I guess, as was stated that when we look at Sikh history, we see Guru Nanak Dev Ji onwards to Guru Arjan Dev Ji. And there doesn't seem to be much emphasis on statecraft or well, that's what's being presented as a stereotyped history to us. Then from All the right. sixth guru onwards, what's happened is that even up till today, academics, professors, intellectuals, everyone seems to be debating only one sordid point. Did the sixth guru correspond, harmonize himself with Guru Nanak Dev Ji's emphasis on a peaceful life? Or did he deviate due to external factors? And that's led to many people questioning the role of force in Sikh history in the Khalsa consecutively. So big questions that need to be asked and answered.
1: Oh, yeah. uh, uh, well, uh, if we need to answer this question, which is uh, at the end of the hour, I would say, ask yourself was Guru Manak a pacifist?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the first question, I guess. And really, people then start pointing towards uh, <laughs> random lines of Gurbani to say yes.
1: I, I do believe uh, that uh, you have to look at them in a certain way. If a person does, doesn't actively fight or engages in a physical fight, it does not mean that that, that person is, a, is uh, a pacifist or a peace lover or a so-called peace lover. What Guru Nanak mm. did, he rejected a caste system that has been in the place for thousands of years. That's open rebellion. That's not pacifism.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess pacifism has been stereotyped as a activity where one does not get into physical... Oh, well, I mean one does not get into a military confrontation, and I think that misdefinition has come to uh, encapsulate the term in our times, that is, the word is brandied about by every Tom, Dick and Harry attempting to assert that the gurus deviated from the original gurus' mandate.
1: Well, well, even if we believe them, then you have to believe that, okay, we have to change with the changing social, political and military conditions. Mm-hmm. From the first, first guru to the tenth, the environment wasn't exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So even mm-hmm. if you, you know, even if you do believe that they deviated, there is a point that times had changed, and you change with the time. Change is the only permanent thing in this universe.
0: Mm. And I guess that's something which you need to look at a, from like a really broad perspective in Islam. They say that, you know, Muhammad's times, Muhammad had to fight because times had changed. And the Hindu uh, mythology, you have the same element as well. You know, the avatars had to fight and not fight depending on the external factors of time. Again, when it comes to the Christ, they say times have changed. He will be fighting the devil in the heavens. So basically, when people do allege that the gurus deviated from each other, there's nothing divine about Sikhi if they are deviated due to external factors such as time then that argument really has no firm basis in the world of religion or otherwise because change is the only constant factor in life. But this brings us back to another point. Would Guru Nanak Dev Ji have spotted Guru Hargobind Sahib Ji in light of Gurbani?
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and I'll ask you a question in turn. Imagine if yeah. Guru Gobind Singh was the first Guru and Guru Nanak was the 10th Guru, would Guru Nanak have fought 14 battles? hello yeah i can hear you can you hear me
0: yes i can hear you there must have been a little disconnection oh yes well i mean yes i believe guru nanak devji would have fought 14 battles i believe so
1: yeah but uh, i think we need to emphasize and we need to to find out that where this this thing comes from that sikhi is pacifism and it's all about peace and doing and gilton and that's it i
0: think if you look at it i mean if you look at the literal i guess the intellectual history of sikhs one of the biggest unsung heroes we have had in sikhi so far is sardar jagjit singh who wrote quite a it didn't prove to be controversial but nor did it prove to be a widely read book when he published it first in the 80s it's only now that it's been translated in english that it's become sort of like the magna Carta for Sikh studies which is uh you know Sikh studies which operate outside the field of you know archaic mountainous aca- academia basically what Sardar Jagjit Singh did was he traced the pacifist myth to its roots and he discovered that the sects and Sikhi who emphasize vegetarianism they are the problem when it comes to the passive aggressive myth because what they have done, they have dismantled the concept of resistance in religion and sort of made it out to be that uh, vegetarianism is a more pure of life because it does not entail utilizing force to acquire one's sustenance, one's food. Now, if you were to look at it historically, if you look at the caste system, you know the caste system is based on Vedic injunctions. Those injunctions only mandated force to be utilized to protect caste you have this in the bhagavad-gita where you know when the battle of kurukshetra is just about to be fought Mahaparth is just about to be fought Arjun Sort of falters in his duty as a Kshatri warrior and krishna turns around and you know gives him exages on Life death and everything is per you know the vedas now and there, Krishna does tell him that you know, you have a duty to fight to protect the order of righteousness as I have you know, in, installed it on in creation on this earth, and that's a very significant verse down there because it says that you can fight to preserve caste, but you can't fight to dismantle caste in any form, and if you look at the bhakti movement, Pakt, kabir Kabir bhakt, freed, bhakti ravida, surdas, bhakt, jai dev they never individually made much headway against caste as well because even though they tried fighting the system, they fought within the system. Now when it comes to Guru Nanak Dev Ji, even though this might be a bit of digression, Guru Nanak Dev Ji never accepted the Janu, which was to confirm him into the caste you know, system, the caste fold. So yeah. if he never accepted that, he was never, passed off, uh, never part of caste to begin with, he was outside the system, casteless. Which was pretty much seen as being akin to being an animal at the at the time, subhuman. So when it really came down to furthering this castelessness from his perspective, he was a Shatri, You know, he was from the warrior caste who had taken to entrepreneurship. There was a bit of a de-evolution, but this was still allowed by the Brahmanical system as long as the Kshatri's fought to preserve and uh, ensure the progress of caste. And what the guru did was that he actually renounced his entrepreneurial occupation, which was which he was bound to supposedly by religion, and he took up farming. Now, if you look at the caste system in India, farming is usually done by which castes? The lower the castes. Always the lowest. Yep. And I guess the reason here is that, as per Brahmanism, as per Vedism, as per the caste system, the lower castes, when they farm, I mean. This is all based on the notion that, you know, there is transmigration, there is karma, there are 8.4 million, you know, lives through which you have to come. Now, if you're farming, you are said to be utilizing force in the sense that you're treading upon insects, you're crushing insects, you're destroying life. And the irony here is that the very people who blame the lower castes for destroying life on religious grounds, they are the same ones who actually consume the produce they're actually, you know, uh, obtaining from the ground.
1: Yeah, well, once you're done with it, the entire uh, sin, the entire part belongs to you. So now I can just take the product.
0: Yep. And so the argument here was that they are utilizing force, directive force, deliberate force, to, you know, clear away insects and clear away life. This was easily forgotten and filed away that they were actually. Uh, sustaining human life but they were blamed for debilitating their own karma on the grounds that they were utilizing force to you know farm so basically what happened was that if you were utilizing force you were making karma and if you were making karma you were actually attaching yourself to the empirical world which was a falsity. and if you were attached to this world you were obviously uh suffering from inimical karma you were making inimical karma negative karma for yourself you know negative karms. Mm-hmm. And this was the very same reason why meat was forbidden to the majority of the population. Because meat saw people openly use force to you know, derive their sustenance, a chicken or a goat, or even cows were killed, hunted down, killed, and then cooked to be eaten. And this was utilizing force as well to kill you an know, uh, animate being or a form of life, as was stated. Now the double irony here is that, you know, if you're a vegetarian, you're relying on farm food, you know, farm produce. That utilizes force because, you know, life is being killed. And if you're a non-vegetarian, you're still relying on force for your sustenance. You see where the double irony here is? Both involve force.
1: Both involve force, yes.
0: Both involve force. And now Gurbani on Ang955 says this being eats being this is the rule of life grain and everything has you know life in it even plants have life in them now i know that the dilsav jatha and the you know there are various other vegetarian crews you know always running around arguing nah, this can't be right that can't be right now it doesn't matter if plants have you know less of a stronger uh spinal system nervous system or you know spinal cord or whatever the argument they come up with that plants feel less pain than you know other uh you know let's for example take a pumpkin a pumpkin feels less pain than a goat upon you know being killed but gurbani also tells us that pain irrespective of the level is still pain you're still you know destroying a life pretty much
1: well if if you steal ten dollars or you steal one million you're still a thief
0: yep that's the thing and so guru nandak devji pretty much saw that if force was you know force was a natural part of life Vaheguru made creation in such a way that, you know, even water has life itself. And I'll get to that Shabbat soon in this, you know, past. But because force was being used for sustenance, then that very same force could be utilized for men, uh, by men, for men, to impel revolutionary change in the existing system as long as the force was seen as a means, was used ethically and did not defeat the ends and this really meant that in sikhi the military the martialism was seeded by none other than guru nanak dev ji he produced it
1: in sikhi. Correct. yep you're 100% correct
0: and now people would will, will say here that well wait a second putt freed ji says in gurbani to kiss the you know fists of your uh, detractors the people who would hit you now let's just take a step back here force has many forms but the two forms of force are the ones we use as words and the other we use in the form of weapons for physical confrontation now we are the Sikhs of Guru Granth Sahib not solely of Bhagat Freed. Now in his life Bhagat Freed ji might have kissed the fists of anyone who was bullying him or hitting him but in reality, in light of entire Gurbani, because Guru Nanak Dev Ji has three Shabads in asadi where he tells us there are three ways to deal with the Fool. Agree with the Fool without conceding your principles. Turn away from the Fool without conceding your principles. And if the Fool still does not stop, then, you know, break his jaw. And <laughs> many people find that Shabad very disturbing. But the reality here is that when enough is enough, you need to do something. And the kiss-your-fist Shabbat really does not mean that you know you go and kiss someone's fists like we are being told to do. Now, how many times do you think Guru Arjan Dev Ji would have kissed Jahagi's fists? And he wasn't in a violent confrontation at all. What that Shabbat does is it ingrains a sense of humility in us, while the rest of Gurbani tells us to pick our battles carefully.
1: It does indeed.
0: But there are battles. There are battles where we cannot concede ground. Now, Guru Arjan Dev Ji gave a peaceful shahidi We say that was a peaceful martyrdom. The Guru could have fought back violently against Jahagir at the time and Sheikh Ahmad Shah Hindi, who were trying to impose a uh, theocracy on the subcontinent. But he chose not to because a passive martyrdom allows the masses to coagulate, it allows cohesion to build within a community which allows it to sit down and coolly plan the next step of the endeavor, which is physical, which is military force, violent resistance.
1: Well, well, it also uh, puts a precedent that uh, negotiations are not going to work from now.
0: No, not at all because i mean if you look at the life of nelson mandela people call him you know uh, people have tried making him to be a saint of pacifism but if you look at it mandela was actually imprisoned in a trial where it was discovered that they were planning to uh, bomb certain governmental targets in south africa at the time and mandela oh. himself is on record saying that you know there was a period when he believed in pacifism but pacifism is only valid as long as the opponent is ready to uh run by those rules run by your rules but when the opponent is something like the apartheid government then you really need to start speaking in its uh terms on its the terms. language they understand
1: the language they understand
0: yep and that's the thing but if you speak the language they understand does not mean you become like them does not mean you indulge in rapine and you know total slaughter of innocence you only fight for what you believe to be right, for your aim. You do not alienate the masses.
1: uh, That's a very interesting point because uh, uh, at the time of Ranjit Singh, we did actually uh, defeat the Afghans, but we never conquered their home because it wasn't ours. So we were fighting for our own protection. We were not fighting to suppress anybody else. The Mughals were. We were just protecting ourselves.
0: Yes, and I guess that's something you have to see. Wherever the Sikh state extended in its uh, multiple forms, you know, as under Banda or under anyone else, you sort of get the impression there must have been some sort of a criteria, like a citizenship criteria. Okay, you believe in liberalism, the liberalism of the sort where, you know, you don't try imposing jihad or something like that on anyone else. And you believe in, you know, working by your, uh, in a strong work ethic, contributing towards the community. Come and join our state, we will protect you without any material benefit as long as you stay dedicated to us and pay the dasband as a tax, you know, one tenth of whatever you earn. But then when you see a theocracy, like what the Mughals were trying to impose, especially uh, Ahmad Shah Hindi, that really meant that if you were an infidel, if you did not believe in the state religion, you were a traitor by that very nature.
1: Yeah, there must have been treason in those accounts.
0: And I guess Guru Arjan Dev Ji was executed, because even now, there are lots of Islamic sites online saying that he deserved it because he was a traitor to the state.
1: Well, yeah, they see it more as a, as a political assassination, not, not a religious one.
0: <clears throat> yep. And I guess when Guru Hargob and Sahib Ji utilized force, people today are making a big deal about nothing, which shouldn't even be made into a big deal, because from Guru Nanak Dev Ji's bani, from his ex, from his life, it's quite evident that the guru saw force as a natural part of life it was a part of nature and man was to master that and guru hargobin said Ji mastered force and utilized it to impel change in society and society's uh, leaders because you know a le- society's leadership always reflects that society
1: and you also have to remember that the uh, side of our second guru you actually encouraged wrestling
0: yeah Yes, and uh, you know now there are—I uh, mean, you know—the very people who claim vegetarianism—they're the first ones to point out that Guru Nanak Devji carried a sword.
1: He might have carried a sword. Okay, yeah. So, 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 my point is, was he preparing wrestlers to lift up the big digs of the langar? <laughs> or he was building muscles so you need to lift the leg. this is a 500kg egg you need to lift it lift it up well, two, two people two people yeah so 250kg each yeah yep. or was he preparing Sikhs as complete individuals who were able to fight who were able to think who were able to were healthy mentally and physically so you have to have to look at the the progress from the first guru to the sixth guru
0: I mean you need to understand that making an army isn't an overnight process.
1: No, no, no. It's a long process. It's a part it's of a the long process.
0: And the Sikh army would have taken years to be, you know, cultivated and formed. So the process must have started even before the sixth guru himself.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent true, because if I if I'm growing up if I'm twenty years old, so let's say twenty to twenty five, you are at your peak physical strength. You might go up to thirty. Yep. <clears throat> so My brain must have been developed when when I when I was 10 or 15 or in my in my teenage that I started understanding that this might be a reality in the future or in the Mm -hmm. immediate future or or in the long term Mm -hmm. if if I've been a pacifist all my life and and you come come to me today and say Mr. Singh we need to fight pick up the sword or pick up the rifle I I can't do it in a a day I can't do it nobody can do it unless you're a, a psychopath or something.
0: And I guess there are two divergent views down here. Two divergent views. Why I say two, I'll tell you. So Jagjit Singhji was challenged on this point by people who said, well, if you want to defeat evil, you cannot utilize violence because violence is used by evil and violence is self-defeating. Now, Sadar so Jagjit Singhji asked a very interesting question, which was quite laughed at at the time. Not laughed at, I guess I would say laughed along with because he was laughing when he asked this question. And he said that can these people the dilsaf jatha i guess which i'm calling them the dilsaf crew can they point out any examples from history where this logic that you know violence is self-defeating we won't utilize force at all has helped defeat evil
1: i was going to ask you the exact same question exact same question yep wow okay okay to answer your question the, bi- the biggest example is uh, the Mongol Empire, the most barbaric people, you can say, who actually founded an empire. Yep. So They actually collapsed under their own weight.
0: They did, because they, actually, the Mongols, look at how they were uh, neutered, they were made into Buddhists.
1: Oh, well, I think there were four uh, how do I say there was the Golden Horde that uh, Sorry, uh, I'm skipping the word. It's right in the Mong. Yep. Oh, okay. So the Mongol Empire was divided into four parts. We went to, uh, the four sons of uh, Genghis Khan, yeah?
0: Yeah, the four khanets.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the word. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's, that's the word khanet. Yep. So three of them converted to Islam. Yes. So, so their ideology is totally changed, yeah? Yep. And then there was a civil war, internal yes. conflict. And everything, and there was yep. this this, this rival only for throne to become the Grand Khan and everything. Yep. So this empire is an example that cruel people were never stopped by outsiders.
0: No, and I mean look at the British, the British were never stopped, colonialism was never stopped.
1: No. Well, of course, uh indirectly the Second World War gave India the independence.
0: But then look at the Second World War, force. Force,
1: force, force in the most brutal form ever seen until that time in history.
0: Yes, and even if you even if you look at Martin Luther King Jr. in the USA, he came to eclipse all the other, uh, I guess, uh, individuals fighting for black civil rights because he pretty much preached that we are human and this is the 20th century. We need to progress, but we cannot forget people like you know Malcolm X or even the Black Panthers.
1: Yep, they were all heavily armed. That's where the gun control comes from, unfortunately, because uh, I'm I'm quite pro-gun. So that's my comment.
0: (laughs) Yep, and I guess if you look at uh, Abraham Lincoln, peaceful man, but when war came, he decided to change. They had to do it. They had to do it, yes. And everywhere, everywhere you look in history, change has only been achieved through force. And now, I'm not saying that vegetarians are weak by nature or vegetarians are, you know, feminist or something. You don't want to eat meat. Yeah, up to you. But give the right reason. Don't try justifying it through religion, because if you try justifying it through Sikhi, Sikhi will get you back. Because as Guru Nanak Dev Ji says, Anga 1289, quite a favorite Shabad of the anti-meat groups. The fools shout about meat, but then they're devoid of comprehension, meaning that they do not have any knowledge they are unable to understand that there is no difference in either meat or plant back to our point that both utilize force the you know acquiring of both utilize force and that both have life within them bandit now this is direct uh, this is addressed directly to the hindu orthodoxy which we know even today is radically vegetarian yeah. bandit you're illiterate concerning the origins of the flesh you disparage flesh is formed from water your corn is formed from water, your cotton, your sugarcane is formed from water. Life blossoms forth from water, for it is within water in multiple forms. There is actually life within water. Only if you renounce water can your cry of flesh be justified. And that's Anger 1289 to 1290. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, that's a very simple explanation. But people who have already made up their minds, they will just pick and choose. Unfortunately.
0: Yep, and I mean when they when Gurbani says being eats being, being consumes being, when we consume water, we are destroying life, aren't we?
1: Yeah, true. And and if you think about it, in in nature, well, nature is very cruel.
0: Yes, that's and, just the way of and, nature. And,
1: yeah. and and in nature there is there is I think they're like very very small number that's purely vegetarian if you yep. if, if you think about it even the so-called vegetarian animals yes are opportunists they are on on video eating meat
0: yes and that's the thing animals will eat meat they will evolve to they will change to eat meat
1: yeah I, 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 and I mean herbivores sometimes eating meat they are on on video i've seen many videos
0: that's the thing that's the thing thing. do post them on the facebook group but yes many will eat meat and i guess what it really comes down to is that you know it's the religious grounds for denying meat which has made us so insipid marsh in terms of martial quality but then on the other hand when you try worshipping that quality when you build up that one quality alone then you're pretty much destroying people's intelligence, aren't you?
1: Well, if, if you are a religious person, then then there's a straight question to you. Why do carnivores exist in nature?
0: If, yes, folk,
1: if if the fella sitting upstairs wanted us to not eat meat, then he should have led by example, but not creating animals that only eat meat. Lions shouldn't exist. Wolves shouldn't exist. Leopards, yes. tigers, they, they shouldn't exist. Eagles shouldn't
0: exist. So that, that's the thing, that's the thing, and this is where we have contradictions where it comes down to the fact that you know, Sikhs have weapons. Why do Sikhs have weapons if they're pacifists? Or, so, you know, why did the gurus go hunting? And then you have these really ludicrous myths like, oh, they went hunting to liberate souls. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there were only like 50 souls a year. Yeah,
0: <laughs> 50 souls a year. Yep, 50 souls a lifetime.
1: Yeah, and yeah, they, they had a quota to fill and then just, just sat at home.
0: Yep. So, why don't we go hunting to liberate souls?
1: Well, of course, we are the sons of Guru Gobind Singh. We are in somehow an equal stature. Mm
0: -hmm. We could do that. And then we come down to the fact now before we start discussing other aspects of Guru Hargogan Sajji's life. I've just received a question down here. What about Bhakt Kabir Shabadonanga 1377? Kabir, they who consume fish, marijuana, and tobacco. They rush to pilgrimage sites, there they are told they will go to hell. Now, that's the exact meaning of that Shabad. You know, Bakht, Kabir is asking, what good are your pilgrimage sites that if people eat some stuff, consume some stuff, it's considered a sin, why can't going once to these pilgrimage sites make people renounce all all these eatables, consumables, which are said to lead into sin? This has nothing against or for meat in it at all.
1: Uh, I think it's just calling the hypocrisy out. That you can That's... commit an en- endless amount of sin, then you go to a single place, take a bath, and all your sins are now absolved.
0: That's the thing. That's the thing. And I guess one more thing down here which needs to be noticed is that this Shabbat is the only one where the direct Gurmukhi is actually transliterated into English to uh, make it seem as if, you know, the exact message is on being vegetarian.
1: Well, okay being a vegetarian or a non-vegetarian <laughs> is a personal choice nothing to do with sick your, any religion if I could say if you're a vegetarian fair enough if you're a non-vegetarian fair enough but, but uh, some people might argue that your meat should come from a, 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 how do I say uh, a, a good place I would say not from factory farming or something if you go hunting good enough if, if your meat was raised on a farm in good living conditions fair enough
0: Yep, yeah? I guess ethical so, sources.
1: Yeah, ethical ethical sources. Yes. So these arguments do make some sense. Yeah. That yep. you don't want the the animal to suffer while it's going up. You, yep. it, it's locked up in a cage for its entire life, and one day it's just killed and then served served onto you in a plate.
0: Yep. And I guess here's something like referring back to the Gurmukhi of that Kabir Shabad from Anga 1377. All the other Shabbats when they are translated. They are actually translated from the perspective that we need to read between the lines. This is the only Shabbat which is directly translated into English to make it seem as if the if but, the G is deriding uh, non-vegetarians, meat eaters. He's against meat eaters. This is how uh, how devious some translators are.
1: Yeah. So as we discussed earlier, pick and
0: choose. Pick and choose, and these same people will tell us our history, saying that Guru Hargobind Sahib Ji deviated from Guru Nanak Dev Ji's mandate, which Guru Hargobind Sahib Ji never did at all.
1: No, he, he didn't deviate it at all. If, if Guru Nanak was present in, in that time at the, at the time of Ji, he would have done the exact same exact same thing.
0: And who's to say that, I mean, this might be going into the territory of Borebyarism, but who's to say that when Sehdhpur was sacked by Babur Guru Nanak Dev Ji did not fight with the town's defences, alongside the town's defences?
1: Well, he must have done something. He was, after all, born in a warrior clan. He was a Kshatri.
0: And that's the thing. And that's the thing. So by utilizing force, not only did Guru Nanak Dev Ji dismantle the caste system further, He justified militancy in Sikhi, but militancy for revolutionary aims for the betterment and progression of humanity, which, unfortunately, Sikhs have not been able to do because that militancy symbolized by weaponry, Sikhs are only worshipping weaponry. I mean, look at what they're doing. I mean, look at what happens in India. You know, like they will put coconuts in front of it, fruit and uh, incense sticks and I bet you, out of the 800 people doing this in India in the Sangat at you know uh, all these Sikh festivals, maybe probably only one knows how to pick up the weapon in question properly.
1: Well, you have you have to ask ask another question to yourself that these weapons were used in the 17th and 18th century. What yep. good are they today?
0: That's the thing. I mean, if they're religious relics, keep them like religious relics, but don't expect you know the Guru to jump out of these relics.
1: <laughs> well, uh, uh, in, in the same sense, you, uh, I've seen a lot, lot of people who, who, who just dress up like it's 18th century or uh, uh, late 18th century. Mm. So, uh, that- you, uh, I usually look at them and say, okay, why are you dressed this way? It's the 21st century and you are just, just uh, wearing a three foot tall turban.
0: What's the whole, and- what's the whole point? Yep, and that's the thing down here. It's that conspicuity which is trying to say that we are going to impose religion in the public life, which even, our, which even our gurus were against.
1: Yeah, they never did that. No, yeah, you're right.
0: Yep, and another thing, I guess, before I round off on this one here from my end, is that, you know, Guru Hargobind Sahib Ji's life is used to say that if you die on the field of battle, you will become a hero. Now, if you don't become a hero in the eyes of Vaheguru if you die on the field of battle unless you're dying for principles and your and uh, sacrosanct beliefs which entail the cultivation of human progression and we find this referred to on Angad 1237 of Gurbani neither is the maker of this world won over by warring and dying in the field of battle so jihadi violence militant violence all that sort of violence in the name of religion that gets you nothing at the end
1: well, uh, uh, I think a lot of people often miss this thing that uh, dying is end of a mission.
0: Mm-hmm. Living,
1: what you what you have done while being alive is more important.
0: And this is where we have this emphasis, you know. And this emphasis has grown in the last forty years among Sikhs. She di, she di, she the. Well, hey, wait a oh, second. Oh. What is the for?
1: Well, I, I, I think a shihidi is a Muslim concept. Shahid is a, a, a word that comes from Muslim sources. There's nothing to do with Sikhi.
0: And the way force and shihidi has been sanctified in Sikhi by, you know, Sikhs in the post-guru era, die almost to the level of God himself. This has led to the fact that there are sects now in Sikhi that say, look, we can't do this. Our sect was founded by the gurus, even if it wasn't but we are different and we are different and we are different and you have all these multiple differences and clashes over these issues. Whereas if you know, if we had stuck to the Guru's teaching in the first place that, look, forces are part of nature. We need to utilize it for defense and impelling change. Shidi, martyrdom, that's our ultimate victory. That, look, I'm not going to sacrifice my principles. I'm not going to concede any ground on my beliefs. Kill me. I'm happy to be killed. That's my victory because I won't submit to you. But we have made all this into something else.
1: Uh, well, I think during the time of Ranjit Singh and when we lost our, our sovereignty, a lot of things changed and a lot of texts came up. A lot yep. of new, new stories and new sakis were concocted. And and we must remember at that time, our our ancestors or the Sikhs of the Punjabi neighbors were totally illiterate. Maybe five in hundred could read or write. So it so was very, very easy to influence the
0: other 95. And that's the thing. That's the thing down here, because, you know, most of the newcomers, they had no idea of what the faith actually entailed. Now, like I said, you know, she, she default beliefs and that. What are those beliefs? What are they like when they're achieved practically? We never focus on that. And our Gurdwaras, we only focus on the Martha, Barta, Karta system, pretty much.
1: Oh, well, today that, that is the reality. And uh, uh Okay, I'll ask you a question, and I think yep. uh, uh, it's relevant here. Guru Gobind yep. Singh was uh, under siege in another society. Yes. He could have chosen to dig in and attain JD. Yes. Why did he, did he not?
0: He lived to fight another day to implement yep. the change he wanted to see in society.
1: Or, or maybe... He wanted to fulfill his mission rather than to attain so-called duty.
0: Yes, that's the thing.
1: So so this is where my belief comes from, that what you do do while being alive is more important because dying is just the end of your mission.
0: That's pretty much it. Dying is the ultimate conclusion. Dying leads open to judgment.
1: It it does. And also, I think... uh, uh, we have we have skipped one very important part of guru Hargum sahib's life yes why did he leave amritsar and never come back he built that fort himself he built yes. the akal himself and i think it was within 15 years or maybe even less and he left and never came back
0: no he never saw the punjab again
1: no Well, what well, did here yeah, i think he stayed around kidpur Siberia, near anandpur sahib that punjab yeah. But yes. I, I think he, he never went back, back, back across uh, the River Bias or something.
0: No, he didn't. He didn't come down from the foothills of the Shivaliks at all.
1: Uh, yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, because uh, I was thinking, I think he left around uh, sixteen, fourteen, or sixteen, thirteen.
0: Not really sure on the date. It could be around thereabouts. But I guess that shouldn't detract from the central point that he did decide to leave it, didn't he?
1: He left, and he never came back. And why he left, not many people know.
0: No, and that's the thing, because, I mean, if you look at it from one point of view, if it was a sacred, I guess sacred in the conventional sense, in that sense, if it was sacred, then it would have made sense for him to, you know, make a last stand from there. But because it was sacred in the sense that it united the Sikhs, was like a capital House, a constitutional-slash-meeting ground for the Sikhs, if he left if anyone left that i mean at times sikhs had to leave their bars it was demolished you know thoroughly ransacked yep. it didn't mean that it destroyed any religious principle at all because the religious principle is inside gurbani inside how you live and that's the principles which their bar side used to give out to the sikhs and that's why it was seen as being sacred not in the sense that miracles or something like that happens there i mean so... if he were to take that line of thought If you look at Mecca, Mecca was ransacked three times. The Byzantium Empire is said to have taken away the original black stone, which Abraham found. And they never returned it. They only returned a few fragments and another stone, which still divides, you know, Sunni Islam. Is it the right stone or the wrong stone? But they try hiding it. They try hiding it even now in Saudi Arabia, that this uh, part of history never happened. Because the stone, because the way they've built it up, Mecca is too sacred to be attacked at any one size. And I'm not saying it should be attacked, but when you're dis- when you're reversing history, erasing history, if God forbid something happens now and another army marches into it, what's there to say that the people who believed it could never be attacked, they will leave the faith saying, "Well, wait a second, this was a lie all along."
1: What? then they will just put up another lie and people will be satisfied.
0: That's the thing. That's the thing. A new breed of, I guess, sheep would be brought in. But if people are more wiser now, they will realize that, wait a second, these things don't happen at all.
1: They don't.
0: And the Guru departed Amritsar. He left all that. And Amritsar, as we know, fell into the hands of the Minas. Yeah, yep. I... Uh, 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 uh...
1: Not just one gang, there must be must be multiple gangs in the city.
0: Yep, but Sikhi still flourished and thrived.
1: Uh okay. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, let me tell you. I was born in, in a Jatt family, yeah? Yep. So uh Guru Hargo Sahib brought a lot of jats into Sikh. Yes. And then a lot of jats came into Sikh around the time of Pandas Singh, Singh Bahadur and the remaining came into Sikhi at the time of Sikh missiles to, to secure their lands and whatever, yeah? Yes. So, at that time, if he left amritsar he must have had a lot of support with him. He had 2,200 uh, horsemen with him. Mm. And he left amritsar because of quarrels. He had an army with him that he fought four battles and won all four of them. But yes. he never went back to conquer a and retake it back
0: no and that's the thing the gurus you need to realize went off a plan now when guru Hargobind sahib ji stepped into battle i'm sure he knew he knew about the khalsa if you look at it guru nanak devji's original mission was to lay the grounds for a new society which guru Gobind singh ji obviously consecrated in the form of the khalsa the guru knew about this he knew how difficult but how important the office of guru was and who's to say that he had a stand-in for him, that if I die in battle or am killed, this would be the next Guru. And as time progressed, the Gurus made their final choice in the form of the successors who we have today. Yep. Who's to say that when Guru Harai wasn't born yet, the Guru already had a choice in his mind that if something happens to me, this individual would take over. We know that when he was imprisoned for three years, his mother, his wife and several others led a council in his name Implementing his decisions. So who's to say there were there was no other standby system made like this by the gurus? But because we have translated their lives into religion, into conventional religious dogma, we are just missing all these minor points which could further our comprehension of gurbani and make our lives easy and unite the community.
1: If if an institution, Sikhi, had been continuing from Guru Nanak to Guru Gobind Singh. And in, in such adverse circumstances, I must say, mm. then we, have, uh, any person with basic common sense has to assume that there must have been plan A, plan B, plan C.
0: That's the thing. And if you look at it this way, Ajit Singh Bhugga, he was an early 20th century historian. He actually proposed on the basis of, you know, many scripts he derived from Tibetan monasteries near Kiratpur Sahib, and from the, uh, from the Ram, Raya, Dera in Deradun that Guru Haraji had been poisoned but before he was poisoned he was aware that you know there are conspiracies against me and he instantly selected Guru Har Krishna Ji as Guru so the seat of Gurgaddi could be fulfilled until you know the next Guru took over that the mission could continue.
1: I, I do believe that well we, we know that from, uh, I think uh, he was 11 at- 11 years old when the 5th crew was uh, executed.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Am, am I correct?
0: Yes, uh, 16 I think, 16.
1: 16, okay. So there were multiple attempts on his life, even when he was uh, a toddler. Yes. Including uh, uh, poisoning the poisoning the breasts of... Uh, uh...
0: Of the nurse, yes. Yeah, the of sleep. the nurse, oh, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and also uh, poisoning the curd he was eating. Yes. Yeah, so there were multiple attempts, when, he, even when he was he was a small kid. So yep. well, we have to naturally take this, that, okay, he, there were attempts on him when he was a little kid. Those people were never wiped out. They were still there when he was a, an adult. And when he was uh, going into his old age, they must have made more attempts
0: that's the thing and if you look at it when Guru Hargobind Sahib Ji was in prison I mean for the three years he stayed in prison yes Hari Ram Gupta asserts that he stayed in 12 years but he's just embellishing the truth to incite a nationalistic sentiment for the three years he stayed in prison he must have undergone rigorous torture there but he never snapped instead he had all those Rajput monarchs freed so they would distract the emperor while he built up his strength behind the scenes come wartime now, Jaha, there was one war, war which the Guru fought against the Mughals under Jahagir. And this happened when Pendei Khan and a few other Nihangs garroted uh, Bhagawan, Chand Katari, uh, you know, a relative of Chandu, who had taken over uh, Gobindpur. And the city was renamed as Har Gobindpur. And the Guru pretty much told Pende Khan that, you know, you shouldn't have gone and killed the man just because he was abusing me. But now that the governor of Jalandhar is marching against us, we have to fight and the Sikhs vanquished that military force. Now, when the news went to Delhi, Jahagi refused to actually punish the Guru, saying, well, wait a second, he was in his full right to defend himself. Why did the governor of Jalandhar march out without my orders? Now, if you look at that, there was always a plan going along. No one had realized that the Sikhs were that strong. They could take on a fully equipped army led by a veteran.
1: Yep, a professional army of a very, very strong
0: empire. Yep, and then when you came to Mukhlis Khan, who had fought 16 battles with Sikhs beyond India, instantly killed by the Guru. And at that time, Amritsar was fortified, but the Guru was more than happy to depart as well. Again, the Sikhs must have had intelligence at the royal court that Shah Jahan will not pursue the matter further because that white falcon in question, the one which the Sikhs were accused of stealing, that was a gift from the Persians, and the Mughals and the Persians didn't get along well diplomatically. So the Mughals fighting for a Persian falcon would only be a black blot against the Mughal record at the Persian court, I guess. That they actually think we are more powerful than them, so they will fight and die for our gifts.
1: Yeah, and uh, 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 diplomatically, diplomatically it's a failure that uh, you have not well you would have a gift.
0: And that's the thing, so the gurus were very astute statesmen, very practical, but we haven't left them like that, have
1: we? No, no, we, they were just, uh, how do we say, a uh, uh, kind of magician sent from heaven who had very advanced knowledge and something.
0: Yep, angelic beings. Oh
1: yeah, angels, yeah, of course. Not, yep, not just but... angels, they were... It was just reincarnation of the God himself the light or so called jyot
0: yep and if you look at if you look at gurbani the life of guru hargobind sahib ji now in the 18th century material was published which insinuated that he had multiple wives whereas really the record says he only had one wife that he was you know addicted to cannabis and opium and living like a prince whereas in reality he led a pretty frugal lifestyle pretty spartan if you look at gurbani In Guru Hargobind Sahib Ji's life, the renditions we have before the late 17th and early to mid 18th century, they practically portray a man who was an embodiment of Gurbani 101%. If Guru Nanak Dev Ji seeded Sikhi, then Guru Hargobind Sahib Ji was one of the fruits on the tree of Sikhi. Correct. And such power, such... I guess he was really, truly a force of nature, but a force of nature dedicated to Sikhi. And look at how he preserved Sikhi. Initially, it was thought that he had called down after jail. No, no, he's ready for battle. No, he's called down again. And all this for the continuity of Guru Nanak Dev Ji's mission. That sense of dedication entails quite a significant sacrifice on one's part. I mean, how many people do we know who have sacrificed their lives for a mission? And I'm not talking about physical sacrifice, that you go and die in battle, that you sacrifice each and every minute of your living life for a for a principle and a belief. That sort of sacrifice is what I'm talking about. And maybe we need to reconsider calling our Gurus Jindha Shaheeds, living martyrs.
1: There was one more, one more point I want to discuss and I think it's very important. Yes. Jahagi, had a role to play in the execution of the fifth Guru, yeah? Yes. But the sixth guru got along with him he did not avenge his father why
0: if you look at it from this point of view if you look at it Jahag the real culprit was sheikh Ahmed shah sir hindi jahagir was just a hollow puppet who was given to his drink he danced on sir hindi's tunes the guru saw that the man had no mind of his own we could utilize this man as well he was only a tool for executing my father in reality even if he had the intent to do it he would never have had the brains of Sahendi was not behind it.
1: The way I saw it, because uh, <clears throat> I haven't read very much about uh, what happened in, uh, at that time, that, that part of the Sikh history. Yep. I was thinking, the Guru must have had a view that what is the most important thing to do today.
0: Yes, that also played a part. That also played a part that we can't get into unnecessary wars
1: yeah of course there is no point to just buying trouble when we have a mission to complete
0: yep that the ultimate triumph will be the triumph of Siki, and not my own personal triumph not my vengeance what?
1: yeah not my own personal vendetta and my own personal vengeance
0: yes and that's the thing so,
1: and see and see how how big of a sacrifice this is that mm. you could that you are willing to let go of every single desire and wish of yours for Sikhi
0: that's the thing and maybe that's why Pai Gurdas called him the annihilator of foes the true annihilator of foes and that's why the title of this podcast was kept as Sura." Yeah, very
1: deserving title
0: okay then Okay then, then thank you for joining us then. Until next time.
1: Until next time. Wai Gurujika Khalsa, Wai Gurujiki
0: Fadeh. Wai